Planned Parenthood knows your care can't wait. Get birth control, STI testing and treatment, and emergency contraception with a Planned Parenthood telehealth appointment. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash telehealth to learn about services in your area. I'm Corey Murray, and you're listening to Yes Girl. This week's guests are hosts of The Nod, Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. I'm solo this week because Charlie Penn is enjoying a much-needed break and a much-deserved vacay. But before she went off to the great blue wander, but she's probably at home being safe like everybody should be, we did get together to chat with Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings, who has taken their podcast over to Quibi and made a daily talk show. So you're going to hear her voice, but know that we miss her and Charlie Pan will be back with us next week where we're going to get into some hot topics. But before we do that, I want to thank you so much because we've gotten so much love for our Tasha Smith episode. That girl is a whole vibe. And shout out to our producers, Ashley Hobb, who went ahead and put our episode over on LinkedIn. And guess what? Folks was feeling it and people gave us comments. I'm going to read some of the love that we received. Denicia Hodge says she spoke so many gems on the episode. I truly loved it. Sarah Ruffin says, this piece of content is right on time. Thank you. Michelle Pope says, when she said our dreams keep us alive and we need to write them down, put them on the wall and pursue them, a word. Love this episode. Thank you so much for that love. Tasha Smith always has a word that lifts you right up. She is super anointed. And last, but certainly not least, over on Twitter, at Hazel Muda, took it all the way back to an episode from last summer. She said, self-care Sunday. Skip the new episode for an older episode. Needed something before this coronavirus. So glad I did. Hashtag Yes Girl Podcast episode with Erica Alexander. Wow. I am in tears, but strengthened for the week. Hashtag thank you. Thank you so much for all the love you continue to show us. We love bringing you episode after episode. And with that being said, let's get right into this chat with Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. Tyler Penn. Corey, hey boo. How you doing? Are we dancing? Are we dancing? You're supposed to tell me when we dance. I'm sorry. I'm you know just feeling I'm it. I'm feeling it. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm excited. You know I'm on the one three beat, so I won't yeah. be dancing with you, but my spirit is there. Just some shoulders. Just give Just me a little, little shoulder. Okay, I, I was gonna start with a joke. I was gonna say, okay, what happens when four dope black podcasters walk into a bar? Because I feel like that's what's about to happen right now. That is about to happen. I'm Let's standing. go ahead. Let's go ahead and just bring them on Let's in. Let's get to the bar. Who's here, Corey? Brittany Luce, Eric Eddins from the Nod. Ah! what's up y'all y'all we stand hello hello oh welcome my god thank you for having us thank you for having us are we we're a lot right we're extra we know we're extra but charlie greenery too i know that's the that's charlie what do you call it the zoomer Zoomer. Zoomer. you gotta get your moment (laughs) grab what you can in your house Yeah. yeah Mm-hmm. This poor plant. I need to put it on rollers because I just roll it around depending on where the sun hits. <laughs> That's smart, though. That's yeah. smart. That's yeah. smart. You know? yeah. At least yours is alive. That's faux back there. <laughs> it's so but pretty. I wouldn't have known. Exactly. <laughs> you told on yourself. Why you I, sh- I know, but you know, I'm, I know who I am, right? My thumbs are not green, but it's cute on camera. 
But how no. you guys doing? Honestly, we're good. doing pretty good. We okay. actually have a couple of days off. It's a daily show, so it keeps us pretty busy. But you know, I had a good night's sleep. I'm doing. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I, I yeah, we. I have. I just came from five days off work. And that is the most days that I have had off work in a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of feel like a human being again, you know. And it's been a, it's been a it's been a it's been a humdinger of a month. So it's it, it yeah. good to have a little break. Wait, I have to ask Brittany. I mean, and Eric, how do you? Because I'm I've put in for some days off, but how are you? How do you have a vacation when you've already been at home for I feel like a year now? Who that is a good that's a good look. I've solved it. I've I've driven to uh like upstate New York and went okay. to a park and then like got takeout from a restaurant and ate it in a park and then drove back. Okay. All okay. right, I see that. Yeah, that was good. I went I did a little hiking. Okay. I went, yeah, same thing, drove, drove upstate, did some hiking. Also, like I think that just having time in the house to do nothing. Cause now it's like my living space has become my working space. Like my television is this way. My actual couch that I sit on is there. My fiance just left the room so we could record this. Cause normally he's working right here and there. I have food stored over here with extra hand sanitizer. Like just being in the home, not working to me, I'm already on the next level. If I'm at home doing something for fun and not working, um, that's vacation right now that qualifies. But that's all I did all weekend. Yeah. was read and watch a couple movies and stay off Twitter. So that to me is a recipe for vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Staying off Twitter while black can be self-care because there's always, always, they always. <laughs> you know, I've really been thinking a lot about just what it means to take care of ourselves as black people lately. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we all have. And sometimes mm -hmm. it really is for me just sitting and doing nothing and thinking about nothing. How are you guys taking care of yourselves right now as you, you know, we all covering topics that we have to cover. We don't always want to. How are you guys practicing self-care? It's a really good While question. keeping it real. Um, <laughs> for me, like there have been points during this period, I would say in life, I, I like to talk, Eric knows this. Um, and like most of the time in my life, I've been a heavy phone talker, but since we've been doing the daily show, we spent a lot of time talking to other people. Um, and also, and then now everyone's on Zoom or StreamYard or Google Hangouts or whatever all day long. It's like talking actually is not the thing for me right now. Like I've actually gotten back to like reading books, reading books that have nothing to do with what's going on in the world right now, but still are about black people. Just getting lost in the psyche of a fictional black person and whether they're falling in love or trying to find, you know, their long lost sibling you know who crossed to the other side, decided to pass for white. The Vanishing Half by Bennett, very, very good. Very, very good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, so I've sunk my teeth into a little bell hooks recently, you know. Um, just anything that I can do to sort of like look away from a screen and be quiet has just been the biggest help for me. Yeah. Quiet, the peace. What about you, Eric? Yeah, I, honestly, I've been trying to, kind of like two prongs, I've been trying to really stay active. Um, like whether it's like going on bike rides, you know, just going for really long walks. Like I walk, you know, my girlfriend and I will just walk for like 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, that's been really nice. Or even just like I've done like 
like the virtual training, you know, and like to, to do all that, but just things that keep me active. I'm somebody who like is always kind of moving around. So when I start to feel stagnant, like I start to kind of go a little, a little crazy, but to be honest, between that and therapy, therapy is like, therapy. yeah, like it has honestly saved me throughout this time. Cause there's so much when you're inside, you're, you're in your head a lot of times. And mm-hmm. you know, that can be, at least for me, a scary, dark place. So, you know, I kind of like need to be able to give my thoughts, give my like the things that are stressing me out or the things that I'm worried about, like right now in the news, uh, just just period as a dad, whatever. Uh, I can give that to someone else and kind of and, and work with them to kind of help to make it manageable. And so that has honestly been a big part of the work. Yeah. Just like staying active. And, you know, telling somebody who is objective all my business and letting them tell me what to do next. So, you know, that that'll do. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, but I want to go back a little bit um, because, Charlie, I'm not sure if every one of our listeners knows the genius that is Brittany and, and Eric, because <laughs> I have been a big fan of theirs when they first started their podcast for Colored Girls. Then that uh, morphed into the nod. For colored nerds, I'm sorry. I yeah. said for colored girls, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a black woman's autofill. Like, say for it, yeah. <laughs> the fill is girls. So you're okay. good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. For colored nerds. Then it morphed into the knot. And I, Charlie, I think I came to you one day and was like, if y'all don't listen to the oral history of Knuck of You Buck, okay, <laughs> then I don't know if you're black. Like, no, I'm I think back I, up. You downloaded their podcast on my phone. Yes, because I was like, <laughs> you need to hear it. Is everyone hear that? that. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I saw the news that you guys are now on Quibi. So congrats. can you talk to us a little bit? Yes, congrats. But talk to us a little bit about that transition. Does it impact your storytelling? Does it make it wider? Like, tell us about how you've kind of gone from podcast to TV. The pivot. The pivot. The pivot. The pivot. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it it's been a big jump. Like, I think we have always kind of had uh, grand aspirations for like the types of storytelling that we would do, uh, and you know, like creating the nod at Gimlet was awesome because, like, you know, we got to we got to work with our producer Wild Smack to create that oral history, mm-hmm. or just like you know, do I think we over a hundred episodes of just all these like diving in all these random topics that intersect with Black culture in ways that were really interesting. You know, but when we kind of started talking to Quibi, it was like, oh, man, it could be really interesting to kind of play with the parts of storytelling about black people and black culture that we don't get a chance to play with. You know, if we're just a podcast, when we talk about like art or like fashion or something yeah. like that, like food, we you we have to spend like 10 minutes describing like, you know, like <laughs> you this this crumb over here, this crumb over there, you know, and it comes together. Trust me, y'all, it looks great. You know, that's a hard thing to kind of communicate. The visuals, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, it was an exciting kind of challenge to say, okay, break apart what you've been doing and now do it, you know, in a way that people can see. Uh, And then the second part came and make it less intimate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I would say initially, I think it started off like I think initially we were kind of nervous, like how, you know, what how, can we pack as much as we packed into those, you know, 30 to 40 minute episodes? Can we do that in um, six to seven? Uh, 
But I think we both, I mean, Brittany, you can kind of pick up here. I think we've both been pretty surprised by how much we can actually do in that time, which has been really exciting. Yeah, it has been. Um, we've been able to, like, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, before we had a weekly show, which is very frequent, um, <laughs> I felt like it was frequent when we were making it. I was like, oh, it's Monday and the show is coming out again. Um, a daily show is, has been a whole different animal. I but bet. what's been so much fun is that we can have four or five different tones in the span of a week. So, like, um, what, a couple of weeks ago, we had a week uh, just to speak to, I think, like the different tones that we can cover. That's and, right. You know, I yes. Yeah. And, and and she was in the documentary as well. I was nervous because, uh, you know, it's it's such a it's such an important story and we wanted to get it right. And when you're making a daily show that's somewhere in the six to six to seven minute range, you're like, can I cover this? In, in seven minutes, like, is this possible? How do we um, go there? Yeah. Yeah, and, and we were we were able to make two episodes that we as a team were really proud of, um, and that and that you know we've gotten some some good feedback about um, that. I still felt like we were able to go deep in and capture those conversations. The following day, we had an interview with Ian Field Stewart, who is um, the founder of this amazing uh, mutual aid group called um, the Okra Project, and yeah. and what they do is they match. Uh, they're basically feeding. Black trans people um, who may have food insecurity, or people who just want to eat well, um, mm -hmm. and giving them fresh, healthy food uh, that is, you know, I guess in pre-COVID times, cooked by Black trans chefs. And they've also started like mental health funds, um, you know, after the the deaths of Nina Poppet and Tony McDade, to be able to match Black trans people with um, Black trans therapists at, you know, for a session free. And yeah. then, you know, and then Friday we did an episode about Drake yeah. <laughs> and all of the different identities that Drake has taken on in his music videos. And that was just one week. So, you know, we're able to, you know, be able to pass the mic to people who, who deserve to have it. We're able to tell stories um, in a much deeper way than I think than one would anticipate in a, a seven to eight minute range. And then also like Eric and I sometimes just like have fun. There was a great episode where Eric got a weave. <laughs> you can't see where it's at, but my man is bald. But he yeah. has a really fly weave. Look like Michael B. Jordan. I, I, I was, I was, I was doing all right. I was doing all right. I, I flirted with keeping it, but it was. It had Did to you go. practice your pat? I, you <laughs> pat? <laughs> I was like, man, this thing is snug. I was like, wow. I, I just, I never felt so present with like. Well, it's like wearing a hat at all times. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> but uh, so you know, expanding my horizons and hopefully you know, uh, showcase and, and rep for for the for the brothers who said, you know what, I won't just put on the hat. I just I won't just shave off all my hair. Mm. You know, I'm I I want some tresses. I want them yeah. to blow in the wind, even <laughs> if they were not mine. So uh, so yeah, you know, but it's it's dope to be able to do all those things. You know, where normally we would have had a kind of focus our attention on kind of like one topic per week. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge, but, but as you know, as you can probably hear, it's been a fun one along the way. Yeah. And you're right. That variety, it's, you know, the, the topics you cover being able to go from Drake, you know, to transgender issues is really important. And it, it's interesting. We were, you know, reading about your show in so many different ways um, for years now, I've seen it described as blackity black, lighthearted, edutainment, like all over the place, right? But we know it to be all of those things. But how do you all feel about how the show is described? Like when people say it's lighthearted, do you feel like, no, but it's actually super real and nothing is a joke about you know, the Black experience or like, how do you feel as the creators? Because, you know, as creators, you know, we're sensitive about our shit. Yeah. How do you guys feel about how the show is described and received in like mainstream media? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like, I, I don't know, I'm happy with all descriptors of the show because, uh, you know, I, the podcast has over 100 episodes. Now I think we're in the 80s, I think, in recording the number of episodes we have of the Quibi show. So, you know, I think that um, there's really almost no one word that could describe the breadth of the entire thing. So, yeah. I mean, if some people think it's edutainment and they're happy with that. That's cool. If some people think it's lighthearted, some people think it's fun. If some people think we do a lot of serious, hard hitting reporting, which we have done, yeah. they're happy with that. I would just encourage them to continue to listen to the other episodes or to watch yeah. the other episodes on Quibi that come out Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, and Friday, so that they can see everything that we have to offer. But I mean, I mean, the the whole point of the show is that we're not just showcasing any one or five or twelve or thirty six facets of blackness. Yeah. We could you know, host a daily version of this show in perpetuity because there's that many different stories to tell about Black people. So however anybody wants to describe it, as long as it is positive um, and they're watching, I'm open to that. But I, Eric, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the words that we have used, I think the most often to describe the show is celebration. We consider it a celebration of Black culture. And to me, you know, there's so much in celebration. Like, you know, you can challenge somebody in a celebration, yeah. you know? You can, you can kind of go deep. It can be purely joy. It can be frivolous. It can be, you know, smart or whatever. Uh, but the thing about it is that we want to bring all of Black culture into that conversation. We think it all deserves to be celebrated. And so there's a lot of flexibility in that. And I think, yeah, to Brittany's point, it's like, as long as people are talking about the show and watching the show, um, I think you start to quickly pick up that it's so much more than just lighthearted or so much more than just hard hitting. Uh, because we, again, to Brittany's point, we are so much more uh, mm -hmm. in all of those things. And, you know, if, if, if we're making it hard to describe, I actually think that's in some ways a good thing. Hitting as many possible topics and aspects of the culture and black life as possible. So, yeah. It's like one of those things where you have to, when you describe it, you have to tell people, you just have to watch it. You just have right. to just get into it. Up next, more Yes Girl to come. Planned Parenthood knows your care can't wait. Get birth control, STI testing and treatment, and emergency contraception with a Planned Parenthood telehealth appointment. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash telehealth to learn about services in your area. Like, just do are it. you a marketing genius? Like, you're doing our work. Like, thank you. Okay. Get into it. No, thank you all because you guys have been telling some really great stories for a long time now. But you know, we're curious because now, you know, we're black journalists of color. You know, and we've been doing our due diligence. But now that you know, black is trendy. Let me ask, do you feel an added weight to make sure our stories are told with authenticity given the social climate right now? You guys have been doing Quibi, but you know, to address everything that happened with George Floor, Breonna Taylor, Aubrey, Ari, you guys not only did your Quibi show, but then you also put something on your podcast feed. And I know that's a little bit of insider baseball, but I, as someone who's a content creator, I knew you were like, no, we're going to get this message out. Y'all got to know how we feel. So can you talk to us about if you, if you do feel an extra weight um, given the social climate right now and telling your stories and being storytellers right now? It's hard. It's hard to describe it as a weight. I like, I think the times right now have clarified, at least for me, the importance of what we're doing. Uh, 
but I don't know that it always feels like a weight. I think like I it's it's always been really important to us to be kind of like to be true to the topics and the people who we're talking about. Um, we consider it a great responsibility for people to share their stories with us in the first place. Uh, so we want to take we want to you know take care to make sure we're doing that part right. But I think the thing that has you know to to the point of we've been doing this for a long time. It's more so like okay, we've been here. You know, like we want we want to show you we've been doing this work uh, for a while now, and we want to show you that we are actually ready and primed to actually respond to the moment because it is so important. Uh, you know, to what we were talking about before, it's a it's a we consider it a bit of a privilege to have a banner as large as black culture to be the sandbox that we play in. Uh, and because we have that privilege, we take it very seriously. But we, that also means sometimes we take the fun very seriously, too. Uh, you know, it's 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 a really tough time right now. You we need to have the conversations about, you know, why people are out in the streets protesting about police brutality, about, you know, the systems that have almost always I don't even know if you need almost they have always been unfair to us. <laughs> but, and, and we do that. And so that's why it was important to just to make sure that we got our message out to all the possible people who know and look to us mm -hmm. for some sort of message. But it's also important to take those to take the reprieves too, to, to have some joy, to show that, like, yes, it's important to stay to stay involved, to stay up to date about the things that are happening. But you also have to take care of yourself. And sometimes taking care of yourself means taking a step back and finding any excuse or any topic that you can just laugh at or that will bring you some joy. Uh, and so I think for me, this moment feels really important to actually just continue doing what we have been doing. Uh, because black life is actually, I think it's, it's changing as it's always changing, but it's happening so much faster now. And that means you know, that we as, as people in the media have to be ready to continue doing the work of talking to people about how things are changing. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a responsibility and it's one that's kind of always felt a little heavy, but the nice thing is that it's, it's also fun. It's also fun too. Like this is, you know what I'm saying? Like I consider being black can be hard, but it's also really great. I would never want to be anything else. So like, you know, it's just like, I, I wake up and I'm like, whew, okay, that happened, that happened, this happened. All right. Now let's move forward. How do we do it? Um, yeah, I don't know, Brittany. How do how do you feel? Um, I mean, you know, we, Eric and I have been huh, we've been friends for fifteen years. Uh, we met at Howard University and we met at a party, became friends. We have been working together. Uh, Hampton, Hampton, excuse me. <laughs> okay, okay. Here we go. Here we, go. Know, we love all. I'm sorry, I was coughing. Coughing. from the institute. We do. We, yeah, we do. We do. We do. I'm gonna let you have that because you're our guest. You are our esteemed guest. I've been at university since 1984. I can get my salmon tea. We did meet as friends at Howard, and we've both been black since birth, as far as I know. <laughs> and uh <laughs> but um yeah but but we've been we've been working together um podcasting and telling black stories or having conversations as two black people who are best friends for six years now so you know look 
there were points in time where people told us that there was no audience for yeah. a show like this. That not I say points. There were many times <laughs> where people told us there was no audience for a show like this. Uh, you know, they didn't know how they didn't know how it was going to work. Who would be interested in it? Who's going to sell ads on something like this? Pepsi. I'm like, wait, I don't want to say a Taco Bell ad ran on our show the other day. It's just like. <laughs> Oh man, a few years ago, somebody told me, you know, a major brand like Pepsi wouldn't even touch a show about race. Okay. Um, but the thing is, is like, you know, we, we've been telling these stories and we felt it because we felt it was important to do and, and it was interesting to us. And that's what we cared about. Um, and also too, a lot of these stories tend to be um, undercovered and underreported, which is not to say that black people still aren't sharing them amongst ourselves, amongst each other, and then that there aren't black people out there doing this work and that there haven't always been, but there could always be more, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and right now, you know, to your point, Corey, you know, people are going to be feel very into all things black. Uh, but, you know, the same way that we have been doing this for the past six years, um, we're going to be doing this <laughs> six years from now. So, um, you know, I, I'm glad anytime anybody wants to invest uh, resources into thoughtful black storytelling, I am happy about it. Anytime, you know, I, you get to see a you know, black person who has worked really hard to build a school or a business or, you know, a mutual aid fund. You, anytime you get to see them get the thing that they need. People who are getting their medical bills paid for. Shoot, I'm happy about it. I'm happy about it. Like truly, really and truly. Um, but, you know, it, it, like I, I, I'm hoping that um, that there's some more sustained energy around this that lasts beyond the moment. And, you know, even if there isn't, I still know that, I mean, just looking at three y'all, I still know we're going to be telling the same kind of stories and, and doing the same kind of work, you know, as it continues on. So, like I said, I'm, ha I'm happy for everybody who's getting love, money, attention, energy right now that has needed it. Um, I hope it continues. But if it doesn't, I'm going to still be here. Yeah. Keep that same energy, though. Uh -huh. Keep, that, keep that same energy. All through past, <laughs> past 2020 and beyond. And speaking of that, you know, what you guys are saying, it makes me think about what our queen mother, Susan L. Taylor, used to always say, mm. this is the critical work, right? Yeah. This is what we're doing. It's, it's critical. Mm. We have to. It doesn't stop. It's critical care, right? Yeah. It's critical work. Yeah. But Corey and I, you know, like in the same space as you guys, we've been thinking a lot about the stories we're telling because 2020, I mean, we will be talking about this year. I don't even know. Forever. The book is thick. Mommy, where were you in 2020? Like, tell us about 2020, you know, curled no. up with a sleeping bag. Like, it's going to be crazy. But also, we think a lot about all the stories that will come out of it and the what it will mean for our community, good, bad, and otherwise, and what mm -hmm. we will tell. So I'm curious what you guys think will be maybe one of the first stories you think or you predict you'll be telling in 2021. <laughs> so but it's it's almost like you mentioned like uh someone asking everybody like mommy where were you in 2020 i i feel like you have to be like well which part right. like, <laughs> the first quarter the we come out April, April, April to early march i was still at the club yeah <laughs> you go week to week um in terms of i mean to be honest i think this one of the most important things that I've seen happen is people start, people are forced to pay attention. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, everybody was, or not everybody, more people should have been, but you know, a lot of people were at home uh, trying to figure out what to do next, what to do next, stressed out because of, you know, the, the madness and, and tragedy that was happening all around us. Uh, 
And then you have this conversation start to bubble up, one that was not new about police brutality and the way black people in this country, way black people have been treated in this country. Um, you have that burst onto the scene in, in, you know, in a tragic but major way. And people actually have started to pay attention. I won't say a ton of things have started to change, but people have started to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the, um, it's the thing that I frankly did not expect, mm. um, but it is clearly pivotal. And I think we're in a moment where we, we don't even know what's on the other side of it. Um, we can, we, I think we're all, uh, black people are pushing for change uh, in this really beautiful and unprecedented way. And I'm hoping that the attention that is now also being focused on us doing that can result in change, you know, of some sort, you know, I, you want to say by the back half of the year, but at this point, I just hope, you know, <laughs> we make it to the back half of the year, but, uh, but no, I think it's a pivotal moment where people have started to pay attention at least a little bit to the things that we've been saying for a long time. And uh, my hope is that when I'm having that conversation with my kid about 2020, uh, is that I'm able to end it with uh, some some massive changes that occurred uh, because it's it's what's needed. Amen. I'm hoping that um, <clears throat> I'm hoping that uh, when I do have this conversation in the future with my child, wherever they are out in the ether um, <laughs> at this moment, because I don't have one. Just want to be clear. I'm like, don't need people coming for me asking me these questions, but. Um, I, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the conditions that I described that led us to the madness and the tragedy that Eric mentioned um, sound ancient to my child. Mm. I hope that it sounds ridiculous. That's the thing that I hope. Like I, there's a um, story of my my dad from when he was a child that I didn't understand. Like my aunt and uncle and my dad would tell it, they'd tell it over and over again, but I didn't understand it until I was, I don't know, a teenager, maybe in my twenties, um, which is that there was uh, a time where like they had gone on some family trip, my, my, my dad, his brother, sister, and parents, and they were riding in a taxi cab. And my dad was started, he was a kid and he started talking to the taxi driver who was white and giving him directions and telling him where to go. And they told me the story when I was a kid and I kept thinking because I didn't grow up in like a, um, I guess like by law, like segregation state, right? We all know by policy is a different story, yeah. uh, but by law, I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up in Michigan in, in the nineties, you know? So I didn't grow up in segregation, but I didn't have a, an understanding as a child, uh, based upon what I saw around me, I didn't have an understanding of why inherently that was necessarily bad to do. Uh, because my parents grew up in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s um, in Detroit, and it was just a totally different world. I thought, oh, my father was being rude as a child, not my father was speaking to this white man who was, you know, driving my family around. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that like, as foreign as like, um, segregated water fountains seemed to me when I was a kid growing up or, or that story about my dad, like, you know, bossing around a white cab driver um, and that being something that scared, you know, his immediate family. I'm hoping that as wild as those sounded to me in the nineties, that like not having health insurance for people sounds now not having like election day be a federal holiday that all people have access to regardless of their incarceration status. Um, you know, I'm hoping that all of these things, that are, uh, you know, that, that COVID 
has really kind of like laid bare as these huge like chasms of just a policy and funding and and mess. Um, I'm I'm hoping that like uh, all of these these fault lines that were that not we but many of us out here, um, the allies are seeing for the first time. Um, I'm hoping that all of those conditions sound completely foreign to my child. And I can say that like, you know, before 2020, it was like this, but you know, in the years that followed, these are the things that changed. And that's why when I talk to you about my childhood, I sound like when my parents used to tell me that chips cost a nickel. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like what? Yeah. <laughs> Did y'all used to take a, a, a stick and, and run a hoop down the street too? Like, <laughs> right. Like what happened there? Um, yeah, that's what I hope. That's what I hope for when, when I talk about 2020 in the future. But 2021, if I make it to January 1st, 2021, the first story I'm telling is a testimony. Okay. <laughs> survival. The of my yeah. survival of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brittany, Eric, thank you guys. I mean, thank you both so, so much. I could talk to you all, all day. I, I, I'm killing, my, I'm trying to not ask you guys about that episode where y'all are down in New Orleans and you, and I think it was Eric, you found that really good fried chicken. At the gas station? At the gas station. Because <laughs> you know we're missing Nola so badly right now. Yes. As the ultimate Whitney stand, if and when we do do that episode, if you do it, girl, please. Call me. Let okay. Me the universe brought me to her neighborhood. Corey, you know I'm about to get. Yeah, go ahead. I just bought a house. Knew she was from East Orange. Yes. Didn't thank you. Didn't even, you know, de detailed. And then we were moving in and they were like, oh yeah, that house over there is where Whitney grew up. And I was like, look at you guys. Wow. Seriously, I live on her street. Ooh, Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, so I was just like, okay. You know, I planted a tree in the yard, named it Whitney. It's a whole thing. But I remember you were saying if you could interview anybody dead or alive, it would be Whitney. And so if we ever deep dive about the voice, the queen, call me, girl. Y'all call me. Thank you. I will take you up on that. I'm just going to say it. I wear my Whitney t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> That's okay, Eric. You and I are going to talk about that fried chicken in Nola. It was, in a, it was like in a gas station market. I, know, like, I remember. Were they also selling alligator? Because every time I'm in a NOLA like hotspot, it's like fried alligator is what they're giving. Yeah. I don't have any down there. I have had alligator before in Detroit, which now makes me yeah. want to walk that back. But oh. um, like, <laughs> but I had I had did not have any alligator when I was in NOLA. Yeah, I've had it before, like but not that trip. Not that I was blinded by the fried chicken and the and the fish. And we the were also drunk. So. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it's a lot. What I would do for a fried chicken po' boy right now. Ooh, fried shrimp. Sorry. Okay. We can't talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we're quarantined and we don't have chef skills. No, we don't. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. This was Thank so you. Fun. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, a sneak peek of next week's inspirational episode with Lecrae and a bonus segment with Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood of Maryland, Dr. Reagan McDonald Mosley. I think we should we should fight for accountability culture and not cancel culture. I, I think it's great. Say that to again. Keep Say that again. Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> I think we should fight for accountability culture and not cancel culture. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's wise to hold people accountable, to hold their feet to the fire, uh, to to grow, to check their perspectives, to do some more educating of themselves. Um, but to cancel somebody uh, says that. There's no room uh, for you to grow. There's no there's no grace for you. There's no room for you to to 
gain another vantage point and another perspective. And I mean, you know, my mama should have canceled me a long time ago if that's the case, because man, I, <laughs> I have, I was a handful, um, but she didn't, she struggled, she strived, she worked with me and, and look at the fruit of that, right? Look at the fruit of her uh, challenging me to grow, to hold me accountable to certain standards. And I think that's a wiser move uh, for us as a culture. I mean, I'm grateful for Black Twitter because Black Twitter will hold your feet to the fire. And, they, and you know, I, I survived the gauntlet. Up next, more Yes Girl to come. You know, I get very, very excited when we talk to doctors and experts in their field because I feel like with everything that's going on in the world right now, what we need more than anything are facts and honesty. Don't you? Now, Charlie, I know during this pandemic, you already would get a lot of questions as the resident love guru at Essence. But now I'm sure you're getting all the questions because it's like, how you can keep your groove on during this time? I know, girl. Yeah, people want to still be intimate and, you know, have sex with their partners, have fun, kiss, all those things, but they don't know how to do it safely. Now, you know what we need to do is find out how to do it. We need an expert, an expert. To have some uncomfortable conversations. It is time to have some uncomfortable conversations. And you know what? I think it's time we ring up Dr. Reagan McDonald Mosley, MD, MPH, FACOG, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood of Maryland, because you know we love to give receipts, and this woman has receipts, all right? But she's going to give us a deep dive into having these conversations. Welcome, Dr. Reagan. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I have to say, there is an alphabet of accolades after your name. <laughs> Congratulations. You're incredible. <laughs> how long, I mean, I have to ask, how long did you stay in college, in school? Because you got degree after degree after degree. I mean, it's a bit much, yeah. <laughs> in my student loan statements. But, you know, I'm grateful to be able to be serving my community and doing this great work, especially at this critical moment. Definitely, definitely. Well, we're so excited to have you. Thank you for being on the show. And you're here to talk about something very important. So I say we dive in. You guys ready? Let's do it. So, Dr. Mosley, can you talk about, well, actually, because like you want to be called Dr. Reagan, right? That's great. You know, that I love that because to me, that lets me know that with your patients, you have a familiarity and you want people to talk to you with ease. But talk to us about how you found your way into this work and calling on what your hopes are for the future of medicine as it relates to black and brown people. Yeah, thank you so much for this question. My journey to this work started a long time ago, actually. Um, when I was just a college student in the late 90s, I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, go Heels. Um, I had the opportunity to send a, spend a semester in Tanzania in East Africa. Wow. I was a studies major, and I was looking at the causes of maternal mortality in Tanzania related to sort of structural adjustment programs and post-colonial laws and regulations. Um, and it was, you know, a very impressionable time in my life. And what I, my research found was that complications of unsafe abortion was actually the leading cause of death, which is not what I was expecting. This is the late 90s where HIV was really rampant there. I thought maybe um, uh, diseases of hypertension or bleeding or hemorrhage would be the leading cause of death, but it was something completely preventable in the way of unsafe abortion. So it was extremely eye-opening for me as a young woman. Um, and started my journey of, you know, trying to do this work to prevent unnecessary suffering um, in populations. So I continued doing global health work and worked in Latin America and West Africa and other places in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, but then I started a fellowship at Johns Hopkins in, um, here at, uh, in Baltimore, where I live. 
And uh, through that fellowship, I had the opportunity to start working one day a week at Planned Parenthood, and I fell in love with the organization. The capacity to take care of patients regardless of their ability to pay, regardless of their insurance status from all walks of life, whether patients looked like me and talked like me, it was uh, really compelling. Uh, so I made the transition from academics and global health to working at Planned Parenthood, um, and it's been an amazing experience. Wow, Dr. Reagan, I really love hearing about where your passion took roots. You know, I love those stories, and they're really important. And we are living right now in an incredible and difficult time. It's, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, right? The first of its kind in literally 100 years, which is crazy to imagine. And while so much has changed in terms of technological advancement, you know, cell phones, medical technology, all of that, they're basic needs, right, that we are all still having, which is about people having sex and still needing access to sexual health services and info. So what are some of the most damaging misinformations you, about sexual health that you've seen, especially during these, these crazy, crazy times? And how did yeah. you combat that, especially That's for Black and Latinx question. people? I would say two things. I think people sort of underestimate their risk of sexually transmitted infections or assume that people who have sexually transmitted infections will be symptomatic or you know, have symptoms, right? And so it's really important for people to know that someone can have a sexually transmitted infection and not know, not have symptoms, you know, not intentionally pass it to someone else. Um, the other really important thing that people may not realize is that black women specifically have a very high risk of HIV compared to other women. According to the CDC, one in seven um, black people um, are, with HIV are unaware that they have it. And according to the Black AIDS Institute, 70, 72% of women living with um, HIV are black, right? So this is something that we don't talk about that much in the black community, the risk of HIV specifically to black women. Um, and the fact that there is medication available to prevent people from getting HIV called PrEP, so PrEP is, or pre-exposure prophylaxis, is a medication that someone can take every day to prevent them from getting HIV. Um, and then lastly, a huge misconception is that birth control is unsafe and ineffective. Birth control, you know, for most healthy people, when taken according to instructions, is extremely effective and extremely safe. Of course, you should, you know, seek care from a provider and, and review your medical history. Um, but these are some of the things that are really damaging um, in terms of people not knowing when to access care or how. So this is part of what we're trying to overcome at Planned Parenthood by offering care both in our health centers when necessary and through telehealth so that people can get the care that they need, right? Because although we know that there's a global pandemic right now, people still have other health needs. People are still having sex. People still need birth control. People still need STI testing. And so we need to do our part to make sure that we're making those services accessible to people. Absolutely. And I'm glad to hear that's a creative way that Planned Parenthood is working around these obstacles because like you're right, there are so many people who can't physically seek a doctor in person for a number of factors. Um, but I know even my own mother um, and my grandmother who's 101, they have started doing telehealth. And my mom said, like, she couldn't believe that her 101-year-old mother was having a doctor visit over the phone. And, you know, it worked out well. How have you guys, how quickly did you guys adjust to doing this, this giving this type of care virtually? Yeah. So some Planned Parenthoods were already doing some telehealth before the pandemic. Some weren't. And so depending on sort of where they started, they were able to pivot more or less quickly to providing more services on telehealth. Um, so I work in, in Maryland at Planned Parenthood of Maryland, where we were already providing some telehealth services, but we had to very quickly ramp that up, right? So that only people were coming to our health center, especially in the initial 
huge surge in the spring. Uh, we only wanted people coming to our health center who really needed to do so. And for everyone else, we were trying to take care of them um, via telehealth to decrease the risk of people traveling to our health centers and to decrease the risk for our staff, et cetera. Um, and so now we're providing, we're continuing to provide birth control services, STI testing services, gender affirming hormone therapy services, some minor GYN care, all through telehealth services. And then if people need to come into the health center, you know, thankfully we're able to keep our doors open for that as well. Uh, but people have been so grateful, right? Like so grateful in this moment that they don't have to leave their houses, that they don't have to figure out childcare for their children, they don't have to get on the bus. They're so grateful that they can be in the comfort of their own house and get high quality care, compassionate care from our providers. And we're grateful to be able to provide that to our community. Yeah, it really is a new world. And you're right. It's about the gratitude, I think, about the little things that haven't changed or that can feel normal, you know, because we're hearing so we're constantly being inundated with information about how to keep ourselves safe, right? Wash your hands, wear a mask, social distancing. Um, and I think people really want to hold on to intimacy, right, at this time, especially when they're at home with their partners. So how can we stay safe and still have intimacy? And what are the rules for practicing safe sex? and limiting the spread of COVID-19? Those are great questions. Thank you. Your introduction about sort of like having uncomfortable conversations, right? And that is something that we should be doing even in the absence of a pandemic is like having these, which can be sometimes uncomfortable conversations with our partners about, you know, if they have any sexually transmitted infections, about condom use, about those things. Um, and so I think it's actually, you know, a good practice to be able to have those conversations with our partner. And now the stakes are even higher with the coronavirus. So some of the things that people can do to keep themselves safe while they're still sexually active um, is minimize the number of sexual partners that you have, right? Because you don't want to expose yourself to people. The more people you expose yourself to, right, the more you're risking yourself of getting not only sexually transmitted infections, but also COVID-19. You want to make sure that your, um, your partners don't have any symptoms of COVID-19, like um, cough, fever, shortness of breath. But there are lots of other symptoms, too, that the CDC has associated with COVID-19 that you may not know about. So, you know, diarrhea or vomiting or a headache or loss of taste or smell. Those are all things that can also be associated with COVID-19. So you might want to come up with a little screening, screening questionnaire for your partners before... Um, before intimacy happens to make sure that they don't have any of those symptoms. And it's also important to know that someone may not have symptoms of COVID-19, but still be able to pass the infection. So even if someone doesn't have symptoms, um, you know, you can't completely eliminate the risk. And again, that's the case with sexually transmitted infections too. Um, if at all possible, you want to avoid kissing, um, you can have sex with a mask on to decrease your risk as well. And you want to be careful about touching uh, bodily fluids um, like semen um, or fecal material, because those things can also carry um, the virus as well. And then as always, you want to use condoms, dental dams, um, use protective barriers to make sure that you're limiting um, exposure to bodily fluids as well. Hearing you talk about this makes me feel very comfortable in having conversations in my own house, very directly, but very informatively and very warmly, because I think that's a big part of how we receive this information. And we have definitely received this information. So thank you, Dr. Reagan. Thank, thank you, you so for much. having me. Thank you so much for having me to talk about this important subject. And remember, spread love, not germs. Love it. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> 
Special thanks to our guests, the Nods, Brittany Luce and Eric Eddins, Dr. Reagan, and our sponsor, Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Yes, yes girl. girl, such as our conversations with Raphael Sadiq, Kelly Rowland, Regina King, and Fantasia. You can check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, and Google Play. And while you're there, be sure to rate us and review us. See you next week. Bye.